Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. How's it going? I hope everything's going okay with you. We're doing okay over here. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I'm sure you can relate to as much as we can relate to it at my house, and that is the difficulty with our kids trying new things. And it can honestly be anything. It can be trying a new food, trying a new outfit, even like transitioning from shorts to pants, but also like trying new experiences going to new classes or trying a new sport or going to a new place, going on vacation, trying a new bed, going to a sleepover. (laughs) Oh my gosh, the list can go on and on. And so I invited Don Hebner back to the show. We're going to be doing a couple, we're doing like a series of podcast interviews based on her new mini books about Mighty Fears series, where she actually is creating children's books with very specific topics, which I find incredibly helpful because I think the more poignant and succinct we can be about the issue that we're talking about with the child, the more it will resonate with them. And so she has developed a series of four books on mighty fears, one on trying new things, one on emetophobia, the fear of throwing up, one on animals and insects, and the other one is on health anxiety or health fears. And she says she has more coming, which I think is super cool. And so I am inviting her onto the podcast for each one of those because it's a great, those are all great topics to have a deeper dive on. And I love to tap into her expertise and have a conversation with her. So that's what we did today. And I hope that you find it helpful. But before we get started, I do want to let you know and thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. Uh, I was just reading an email that I got today. Actually, I saw two of them that came into my inbox today that thanked me for all my resources, but especially connecting them with NoCD. And I'm getting more and more emails from people in my AT Parenting community who have joined my AT Parenting community membership to get support. And then I've connected them with NoCD and they've been able to get the support they need and get the help they need for their kids. And they've made a a lot of progress. So all that to say that no CD sponsors this episode, and I thank them for that for helping parents. No CD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. It's available in the US and even outside of the US. And you can schedule your free 15 minute consultation to see if No CD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com, and I will leave a link in the show notes. Okay, well, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Don. Well, I want to welcome Don Hebner to the show. Thank you so much for coming on again. I always love talking to you. Yes, I love talking to you too. This is a good one. So I've been interviewing you and I have a couple more I want to interview you on with your mini book about mighty fears. And you're writing very specific books about important topics. So I brought you on to talk in general about how to help kids trying new things. And this is something that we see a lot of kids in general, but especially anxious kids struggling with. 
Yeah, it's a little different from the classic phobias, like a fear of bees or a fear of germs, because it is broader. Many children and adults as well are apprehensive about new experiences. And there's something that's really normal about that, but it can rise to the level of being really problematic, stopping a child from doing things that they need and ultimately want to do, but the fear gets in the way. Yeah. And I think it can become all encompassing where you have Mm -hmm. a child who just doesn't want to experience anything new. Can you talk about what maybe drives that fear for some kids? Yeah. So, you know, if we think in terms of what's happening in the brain, part of what is happening is that our brain is always, always, always trying to keep us safe and new seems dangerous because there's so much uncertainty. And so our brain, when it realizes that it doesn't know what to expect, our brain sends out a danger alert and we begin to feel nervous. And for some kids, they show that just in terms of anxiety, you know, they, it, it's clear that they're anxious, but for some kids, it doesn't really look like anxiety. Instead, it looks like they're being oppositional. You know, I just don't like that, or that's boring, or I don't want to do it. So it comes across as kind of angry and oppositional when really there's fear at the base of it. And the mistake that's being made is equating new or unfamiliar with dangerous. And so it turns out to be really helpful to teach kids about what's happening in their brain so that they can begin to more clearly make the distinction between apprehension related to something being dangerous versus related to it being just unfamiliar or new. Yeah, what a gift to help kids understand that body-mind connection, because a lot of times we we don't know how to communicate that to them. And that's why your book, Trying New Things, really helps, because when we can demystify these things and help kids understand, why is my body feeling this way? And you explained it in such a great way, and you explain it in a such a kid-friendly way in your book, you know, then I think they have language and they have an understanding of what's happening. Right. And again, you know, for many kids, they don't process this as fear. So they even get kind of offended. You know, if a parent says, I know you're nervous about this, or I think that's your worry talking to you. Some kids will say, I'm not worried, or this isn't my worry. I just don't want to do it. Right. And so it's important for both parents and kids to have kind of a common language or a common understanding about what's actually going on for them. Yeah. And they may not even realize, you know, connecting those physiological feelings. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm saying this because I'm thinking about something that happened this weekend with my daughter, because I always talk about my kids. We were going to a jump bounce place that we hadn't been to in probably since before COVID. And Mm -hmm. we're driving there and she starts to say, my stomach is hurting. I'm starting to feel clammy. And because we've worked so much on this, she goes, I'm feeling nervous. And I don't even know why I'm feeling nervous. You know? And so then we were able to talk about it, how she used to go to birthday parties there and would feel really anxious. And she was having, you know, just that almost that automatic response of a a new experience it had. She hadn't been there in a while. And yeah. So it's interesting how the average child wouldn't even connect that. Right. 
Right. So yeah, it really does help to to introduce children to their own brain and their own body. And this can be done with young kids, you know, kids as young as six, seven years old. I saw an interesting study at one point that was interviewing people who were waiting to go on a roller coaster. And it was having them describe in real detail the physiological sensations they were experiencing. And they found that people who described themselves as nervous and people who described themselves as excited waiting to go on the roller coaster had the same thing going on in their body. Mm. Jumpy stomach, heart pounding, a little bit sweaty. Some people were feeling those sensations and telling themselves, I'm excited. Mm. And some people were feeling those very same sensations and telling themselves, I'm scared. So it's not what they were experiencing physiologically that was different. It was their interpretation of it that was different. That's and I think that, yeah, really interesting. And I think that happens all the time when we're facing something new. You know, we our body tells us this is new. You don't know quite what to expect here. Anything could happen, right? And Sometimes, you know, in the right set of circumstances, we interpret all of that as excitement, and sometimes we interpret it as fear. Interesting. So I wonder how a parent can approach that. Because I mean, I always interpret it when when my body does that. You know, I'm always like, oh, I'm anxious. Yes. <laughs> or right. why am I anxious? Then I beat myself up about it. Like, why are you upset about this? You know, instead of just accepting it, you know, that's a self problem. But yeah. because you made a good point before, where One, it can show up as opposition, which, Mm -hmm. or boredom, kind of like, you know, those excuses or even what they believe to be true. And then when a parent labels it, which I teach parents to do, you know, oh, this is your worry cloud or, oh, you know, Mr. Worry is bothering you. And you do get, sometimes you get that bark back of, I'm not worried. I just don't want to do this. Right. Right. So I think that with the fear of trying new things, parents can kind of expand their vocabulary some. They could talk to kids maybe about what it means to feel apprehensive, you know, which is fancy word for worried, I guess, but it includes the idea of being cautious or being uncertain about something and it normalizes it. You know, we want to let kids know that there's nothing broken about them you know, especially with this particular thing that it makes sense to be apprehensive in a new situation. It makes sense to be cautious. It makes sense to hold back a little when we're doing something for the very first time. All of that makes sense, right? And so teaching kids to pose the question to themselves about, do I feel this way because this is new or because this is dangerous? Mm -hmm. And we want to help kids understand that something might seem dangerous to them, but there's no evidence that it's dangerous. And that's, you know, kind of a broader piece of of education about anxiety that we have false alarms and things Mm -hmm. of that sort. But about new things, kids can begin by asking the question about, do I feel this way because this is new or because it's dangerous? And often the answer is going to be because it's new. Mm -hmm. And the next step then is gathering some information and we can help kids to kind of build a bridge between the new things that they're they're doing and things that are already familiar to them. So, you know, maybe I've never been to soccer practice before, but I know how to play soccer and I know some of the kids that are going to be there, right? So it's new, but it's not entirely new. And we can do that in all kinds of, of new situations that kids are facing. 
I like that. I like the bridge aspect of things so that we're normalizing. And I also like what you said about giving some new language to it, because even if your child has an anxiety disorder and you're calling out anxiety often or getting them to label it, we can do that ad nauseum, you know, to the point where, you know, I kind of say to parents, you know, like it's money in the bank and like, you're taking a, you know, withdrawal, you don't want to always take a withdrawal because eventually you're going to hit that negative balance. So I love the normalizing, especially in this instance, even if it's pretty acute, it's like, sometimes kids get over, they get frustrated about being over pathologized, or it's always my anxiety disorder, you know, and up here in another, here's another situation where it's my anxiety disorder. And so, or my worry cloud. So I love the multiple language. You know, we always talk about a huge, I uh, talk about a huge vocabulary, you know, it's like ice for Eskimo, you know, we want like a million words for anxiety. So that there's a big emotional vocabulary and then normalizing it and then separating it out of like, is it dangerous? I like that. You talk about dangerous or is it just new? Mm-hmm. Which can be scary. Right. And we want kids to understand, you know, whether we're talking about the fear of trying new things or any fear, we want kids to understand that they can change their relationship with the fear. So it's not as if the fear shows up and the child has to slam on the brakes and not do that thing. You know, they can feel apprehensive or uncertain or afraid and still move into the situation. And we can kind of break that into little pieces to make that possible for kids to do. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you talk about all different types of things that kids can get apprehensive about for trying new things. Can you talk about some of the most common ones? Yeah, certainly new experiences. So, you know, going to a sports practice or a birthday party at a house they've never been or a venue they've never been to, you know, trying a new game, a new sport, a new craft, you know, any experiential thing that's unfamiliar to kids. Some kids really balk around new foods, you know, even a different brand of a food that there's familiar that uh, is familiar to them can trip some kids up. For some kids, especially when there's a sensory piece for kids, new clothing, it can be hard. So really anything that's not familiar to a child can cause a reaction, you know, kind of a reflexive no about that thing. Yeah. I know. I feel like I have all of that and more (laughs) in my house. But like you said, you know, we kind of create like a family culture of we, we move towards difficult things and we, we learn how to sit in our discomfort and we try new things together and that it's overwhelming, but we work through it. Uh, yeah. There's something that popped into my mind with this. So, you know, everyone knows about a comfort zone, the things that we're familiar with and we feel most comfortable about. And I think that it can be useful for parents to think about the growth zone, which is just outside the comfort zone, right? And we we want to have a family culture of, of purposely stepping into the, the growth zone. like valuing that as a family, Mm -hmm. not just waiting for it to come along and then forcing ourselves to do it, but kind of cultivating those experiences. And you can set up a whole ethos, a whole culture where the family is talking about, you know, let's all say something new we did today, or let's talk about a challenge that we took on. Let's talk about a way of being brave. And the family is valuing that both as a way to kind of reframe it. And also because we want kids to have plenty of practice going into their growth zone. It can't be just a once in a while thing. It has to be something that kids are kind of intentionally doing often. 
Yeah. I like that growth zone. I think that's so good. And that it's a family affair, you know, so Mm -hmm. that you model it, you verbalize it. You, you know, it's not just the identified child with anxiety or the struggle. It's like, this is our family. This is what we do. And, and sharing it. I mean, I share that all the time with my kids. Like, ah, we traveled a lot this past summer after my husband died. And I was very vocal about this is scary for me, you know, like going on a plane with you guys, going to Alaska without, you know, your dad who like normally makes all the arrangements, we're going to do it. We're just going to do it one step at a time. And so I think, you know, that family piece is so important. This happens a lot that I see my community. Sometimes a child doesn't want to do a sport. And I'm always like, do they not want to do the sport or the activity? It doesn't have to be a sport. It could be any kind. It could be dance or cheer or, you know, insert whatever. Sometimes the child really doesn't want to do it. I can kind of tell. And other times it's anxiety and the parent will say, no, they really want to do it, but they're anxious. And so how, how can a parent kind of flush out what might be avoidance due to like the apprehension versus them just not wanting to do it? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I don't think there's a, an easy answer to that. But in my mind, part of it has to do with when the resistance comes up. So, you know, if a child was looking forward to doing something and then balks on the way over, I think that's an anxiety thing. Mm-hmm. If a parent brings up, hey, it's, you know, time for basketball season, what do you think about signing up? And a child says, no, I don't like basketball you know, a parent could ask some questions about, have you ever played it? What don't you think you like about it? And might ultimately decide with the child, well, in our family, it's important to be physically active. So you need to find some kind of sport to be involved in. Let's talk about which one you want to choose, right? I think that there's there's not much to be gained by making a child always continue with something that they say or sign up for something that they say that they don't want to do. But we can have it be that, you know, you have to be involved in some kind of structured after school activity, and then the child gets some choice about what that's going to be. Mm -hmm. And in many families, there's the rule about, you know, if you sign up for an eight week program, you see it through, and you don't have to sign up again, but you do have to keep going, even if you don't like it. And, And that way, the question about is this anxiety, or does this have to do in a more genuine way with just preferences, that becomes sort of irrelevant, because we've made a commitment to doing this limited run. Mm hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like we talked about this last time, but it's like finding that balance in between this parenting style of I'm going to over accommodate and kind of cocoon you. Like, you don't like that. I'm not, we're not going to try new things. We're not going to sign up for stuff. We're not going to put new things on your plate. We're not going to buy new clothes, insert whatever versus, you know, the other end of the spectrum of, you know, I'm going to throw you in the deep end and, you know, you're going to learn to eat that food or you're going to wear that shirt or you're going to, you know, and it's an interesting balance that you have to find as a parent. Right. Yes, because we do want children to have a sense of agency, you know, to have some sense of control over things. And so I think parents are well advised to really pay attention to, does a child seem to have a reflexive response of no? And if that's the case, then chances are good that that anxiety is a part of this. If a child is just periodically saying, you know what, I just really don't like that, that's very different. When we were talking about practicing new things and having that be a family-wide endeavor, 
It's also important to be playful about it, right? So we don't want the new thing always to be something that's kind of heavy or big. Parents can do things like, let's have a backwards dinner. We're going to eat dessert first tonight. Or, you know, let's uh, let's mix up bedtime and you put me to bed or, you know, whatever, just to, to do it in a playful way. So we're still experimenting with trying new things and having kids have that feeling of being kind of unsure about how it's actually going to go and then moving into, into the activity anyway. I love that. Like, that's just a great exposure for kids who really have a hard time adapting and transitioning to any new thing. And right. so just on a global scale, make it fun and, you know, flex that muscle and do some exposures of just upside down day, backward right. day, you know, right. breakfast for dinner day. I love right. that uh-huh. because even if that's not the something that they're going to get anxious about, there are a lot of kids who just in general can't handle any new things and they want that. They're very rigid. They want that. Like what's next, what's next, what's next. Right. And so. Like you had said. And, yes. And as is the case with all exposure, we're always exposing kids to two things. One is the specific situation. So, you know, we're exposing kids to a child who's afraid of dogs. We're exposing them to dogs. We're trying to have them get used to dogs. So the one thing we're exposing to is the specific situation, but the other is what they're feeling. And so exposure always is also to that nervous internal feeling. And so anytime we can evoke that little bit of nervousness, we're t- we're kind of toughening a child up some in terms of their ability to tolerate those sensations, those feelings, and so it's useful. So even if it's ultimately about something that's fun, like having dessert first, a child still has some maybe small amount of like, ooh, I'm not sure what this is. This is different from normal. And it's still useful because we're exposing to the feeling of uncertainty. Yeah. And I have heard some parents in my community say things like the therapist thinks if it's fun, it's not an exposure. (laughs) Oh, that's such a sad thing to think, you know, that it has to be this serious thing because I like your ideas. I think they're, they're fun and whimsical. The other thing that you kind of brought up for me as you're talking is the understanding. And I think you said this last time too, and I think it's important to kind of reiterate to the audience, like the idea of an exposure just in and of itself isn't for the child to be okay physiologically, to not have that nervousness, to not have that discomfort. Because I think a lot of parents will say, we did that, you know, let's just take what we're talking about. You know, we, we had breakfast for dinner and my child couldn't handle it. They were very nervous seeing that as a sign that it was not successful. Right. Right. And so it's really important for therapists. If a family's working with a a therapist to turn that around for the family, being nervous is actually the point, Mm -hmm. right? So when kids come to me and they say, you know, Dr. Hebner, I did it. I tried whatever. And I wasn't even nervous. I high five them, but internally I'm thinking, oh, shoot, that wasn't a big enough step because the whole point is to be nervous and do the thing anyway. Right. Yeah. And so when kids are nervous, we want to teach parents to say something along the lines of, okay, we chose the right size step. That's great that you're nervous. You're really going to benefit from this one, right? Mm-hmm. To, you know, kind of cheerlead some about the nervousness. It's a good thing to be nervous when you're doing exposure at the right 
at the right level, right? We don't want kids to be in a panic, but we want, we, we're, we're trying to provoke a little bit of anxiety because that's what makes the exposure useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes people miss the boat on that. So it's good for them to hear that that nervousness is, is really good. It's like lifting weights. You know, if you're lifting right. a really light weight, you're not developing muscle. And right. you know, that's how I explain it to my kids too, is that nervousness is your weight. You know, if, if you're not feeling it, then you're not, you're not growing your anxiety or OCD muscles. Right. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Another thing I thought we could talk about is, you know, kind of that inchworming. You talked about bridging. How do we get kids to handle new things in a slow way? I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of an example. Yeah. So maybe something like for a younger child going to a, a birthday party alone, right? So It's not a black or white thing, like, you know, either the parent stays the whole time or the child just doesn't go to the party. Like those are the two extremes, right? And if we were going to use this as a practice kind of thing, it might be that the parent is going to go to the party and stay and the child is going to work on just moving further away from the parent. Or it might be that the parent is going to stay for a certain amount of time and then they're going to leave or, you know, you're sort of looking for a way to break down challenges that feel too big into smaller pieces so that a child gets a toehold and can practice whatever it is. And then you make it a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. Yeah. It's a great way to explain it because again, I feel like I'm like I'm educated on the the misinformation that parents have just based on the questions that I always get. And I feel like that's another one is they get the whole, like, I shouldn't accommodate, but then they wind up feeling guilty for a, com- a quote unquote accommodating at any level. And so I love the way you explained it because it's, it's about your child and it's individual to every child. And it's just getting them to that edge of discomfort where, you know, they're slightly uncomfortable. And then moving forward, you know, instead of throwing them into that deep pit of despair or fear, it reminds me, your example reminds me of my daughter, going back to the same daughter I was talking about before. It was always so much birthday parties were such a big deal. She wanted to go. She's the most social person, but you know, she has a metaphobia, which I'm excited to talk to you about your next book. Mm -hmm. I have to have her read that. She saw the cover of it sitting there. We actually got two copies. She saw Mm -hmm. it there. And I was like, that's a good book for you to read. She goes, no, not right now. So we need to do some exposures. (laughs) So she would want to go to the party and then she'd get all dressed. And then, and she's like, you know, she's like seven or eight at the time and would be like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And so it was too big for her to, for me to say, you got this, you can go to the party. It was just, you know, okay, you don't have to, how about we just get to the parking lot? We'll just drive to the parking lot. And then I promise you won't have to go in if you don't feel like it. And I can go in and drop off the gift or whatever, if you're okay with that. And we inchwormed our way. And mm-hmm. by the time we got to the parking lot, cause she knew she didn't have to go in, then it was like, just go to the front door, you know, and mm-hmm. we'll see if you want to, we'll stand there for a minute. And if you still feel sick, we'll leave. And she always wound up going mm-hmm. maybe one time, not, but if she thought she was actually going to go to the party from the get-go, that was too far of a gap in her fear. Right. right. And for some kids, that kind of system really works where kind of the parent has in mind what the steps potentially are. We're not trying to trick kids. So there's no piece where the parent has their secret agenda with this, really. You really are just doing a step. And if the child can't add another step, that's fine. It's still a success because they did one step. Right. That's other kids are are really able to participate in figuring out, well, what is the right size step? 
right? So going to the party alone, too big a step. Let's figure out what the right size step might be. It's not not going at all because that's not a step, right? Mm -hmm. And again, even really young kids, once they learn something about what it means to take steps, can participate in figuring out a right size step, neither too small nor too big. Yeah. I love the involvement with kids. So important because that's how you foster independence and get them to make these skills, lifelong skills for themselves. The other thing that you brought up is this is important for the child, I think, and the parent to know is that if we went to the park, and I'm sure this happened at least once going to the parking lot, and then we went home, that's a victory. That's success because it's a step. It was multiple steps. You got dressed, you got in the car, you went there. And so I think sometimes you're right. I think parents might have an idea of like, this is to get you to the party, that's success. And then we didn't get all the way there. That was failure. And for that reframe that you brought up, I think it's important. And also to reframe it to your child, mm-hmm. you know, that was brave of you. You got dressed, you, you know, sat in the parking lot, you know, mm-hmm. you faced your fears. That was brave. Right. And that could be counterintuitive for a lot of parents. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think it is important to do it that way. And part of what this makes clear also is practice is really key. So if a child is only practicing going to a party once every four months, it's it's going to be hard to make progress with this. So it's important for parents to kind of choreograph additional experiences. You know, it might not always be a party, but going on a play date or meeting a group of friends somewhere, because we really want kids to practice these sequential steps pretty frequently. That's how it works best. Yeah. As evidenced by my child having a freak attack (laughs) this past weekend, because we haven't done it in a while and it wasn't a party, right? So some parents Mm -hmm. might say, well, she's not being invited to multiple parties, but it's the the environment that kind of triggers it of it's, it's similar, you know, it's a lot of kids and she might throw up in front of a lot of kids. So yeah, I think that's, that's a really important aspect too. So I really love the whole series that you have. I feel like they're going to be so helpful for everybody the mini Dr. Don mini books about mighty fears, which I think is cute. Can you talk a little bit about what's in facing mighty fears about trying new things? Yeah. So each of the books begins by just teaching kids some concepts, and then it moves to teaching specific steps. So the concept in here has to do with the brain and the fact that our brain is always on the lookout for potential danger to keep us safe and why it is that we developed an apprehension around new or unfamiliar things. So it's teaching all all of that conceptually. And then the steps in this book are to ask what I call the magic question, which is, am I nervous because this is dangerous or because it's new? And then to focus on the facts. So to gather some information and to do that kind of linking between the new experience and things that a child has mastered or things that are familiar to them. And the third step is practice being brave. And um, that talks about moving into that growth zone and taking steps to do new things often and a little bit at a time and, and just practicing that bravery to try to build that muscle, as you were saying. And it's great for kids to learn these skills directly. You know, I feel like we don't have a lot of books out there that accept all of your great books, you know, that really outline for kids kind of what the parent's going to be doing too. I feel like mm-hmm. I like, I'm very heavy on the parent side of things and uh-huh. your work complements my stuff so well, because you're teaching the kids directly. And so together they know why is my mom talking about, you know, taking one step at a time or what's the science behind it. And you teach it in a very kid-friendly way, obviously. 
Yeah, thank um, you. And this book and all of the books in this series have this additional feature called fun facts. I love that. that. So in the in the Facing Mighty Fears About Trying New Things book, there are two kinds of fun facts. One is famous firsts or, you know, kind of new things. The first person who decided to combine peanut butter and jelly, which always mm-hmm. used to be eaten separately. And someone had the idea to put them together or, you know, certain sports kinds of firsts and things of that sort. And then there are first time acts. So there are lots of like suggestions about new things to try. Some of them tiny, like eat a single blueberry or wear mismatched socks and some of them bigger, you know, talking to a classmate you've never talked to before and things of that sort. So there are lots and lots of suggestions about new things that don't take, you know, equipment or money or time, but, but that kids can use for exposure. Yeah. And I like the format of all of the books because they are very experiential, you know, so they're teaching skills, but also there's a lot of prompts to go out and try things in a very concrete way. I actually really love the fun facts. I mean, reading all of them, I was like, oh my gosh, really? You know, I found them really and I think that will captivate kids and it, it keeps them reading. And so right. they're very well done. Yeah. Can you talk about the other three? Yes. So Facing Mighty Fears about animals covers uh, bees, dogs, spiders, and snakes, but really can be applied to any animal or insect. Facing Mighty Fears about throwing up is specific to emetophobia, fear of vomiting. And Facing Mighty Fears about health zooms out a little further. This is for kids who just worry about physical sensations and health issues. You know, am I going to stop breathing? Am I going to choke? Am I going to die in the night? What's this bump on my wrist? You know, kind of broader health issues. And then I'm working on the next set that is going to be released in the next year. Oh, that's exciting. I feel like, you know, because a lot of times kids will read the general books and you have really great general books, like what to do when my brain gets stuck or what to do when I worry too much. And a lot of kids will say like either, you know, they didn't feel like it addressed their fear particular because kids need to really feel like they're talked to specifically. And so I feel like reading those great skill building general books and then having these books as like the supplement of like, now we're going to talk about emetophobia. You know, we're going to talk about your fear of health is a really great library and resources for parents and therapists to be able to, it's like bibliotherapy. I feel like kids learn through reading. So many kids learn through reading. So Absolutely. And some kids are resistant to reading because, you know, it just, it evokes, it's a trigger for them to read about their issue or they might get defensive. You know, I don't need that Mm -hmm. book. I think that's especially the case for the fear of throwing up that, that kids get just so triggered in the back of each of these books, there's a section for parents and caregivers. And in the fear of throwing up book, it specifically addresses what to do if your child is resistant to reading the book and how to do some exposure just to the book in a fun way to, to engage your child and get them to be able to tolerate reading it. And it's a great exposure in and of itself. I mean, yes, I do plan on circling back because these are for in general, six to 10 year olds. My daughter is 10 and we will definitely circle back and she will earn some bravery points for reading the book. And that's, that's an easy exposure for me because I can just say, I know she can handle it. We've done lots of exposures. And so it's just like a tune-up and it's a perfect tune-up because it's education and just reading it. I think reading all the words and stuff, I know she can handle it, but she will do it for bravery points. Uh Um, And so sometimes you can incorporate that stuff if your child is, is open to that too. Right. Yeah. There's a coupon code that I have from a publisher so people can get 30% off. Do you believe that ends June 30th of 2022? 
So 15. I will leave. I think it's 15. Oh, is it 15? Oh, thank yeah. you for correcting me. Yes. I'm going to have to like come back and edit this podcast. Yeah. 15% off. Let me see. Do you happen to know the code or would that be too? Mighty important? fears 15. Oh, perfect. Thank you. And so, it's uppercase mighty fears. Yes. And then the number 15, right. and you can just go to us.jkp.com, but I will leave the link and the coupon code in the show notes just so that you have that for yourself. So just wanted to verbally say that because some people don't go into the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on. We will have hopefully two more of these in the next few months. We'll talk about the fear throw up and health. Two really good ones. So Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope that you found that helpful. As always, I love talking to her and we will have two more interviews coming up. So Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified when I have a new episode so you don't miss those. I also have quite a few good topics coming up as well. And so I had told you guys that I was going to do an episode on being proactive with anxiety and OCD, not waiting for things to get really bad before you start working on it. And that that topic was spawned out of the episode that I did on how anxiety and OCD can impact your relationships, your your partner relationships, your either your marital or your romantic relationships. That was what episode was that? Actually, I'm not sure. It was a few episodes ago. So if you want to listen to that and you haven't, you can always go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com. You can always scroll down to the very bottom and you can go to the search button and type partner and it should come up with that. That's kind of like the best way to find my podcast. That will be next week. And so I hope that you find that helpful. And then I am also going to be doing an episode that came out of my conversation. One of my classes, we do weekly classes at the AT Parenting Community membership and parents wanted me to do an episode on how OCD isn't rational. And again, this is really to help them with relatives, friends, and partners who don't get that and are trying to talk to the OCD. So if all of those episodes sound exciting, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss them because they kind of pop up at you. If you are enjoying my podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. And if you have a few extra minutes to leave a review, you know I greatly appreciate it. And if I have new ones, I always like to read one of them to show my gratitude. I've had quite a few lately, so I appreciate you guys. I want to thank Carla for writing this. She wrote, helping us to live life. Thank you, Natasha, for the wonderful work you do. I started listening to your podcast, took one of your classes, and am now a member of the AT Parenting community. Let me tell you that what I've learned from you has helped us all to live life with OCD in our home. Your guidance has taken the theory we've learned in therapy and transformed it into practice we can use in real life. The respect you convey for the diversity of family culture is such a loving act and your acknowledgement of the messiness that comes with living with OCD gives us permission to keep on keeping on in our attempt to help our child. Our family is so fortunate to have come across your work and you're both empowering us and giving us hope to be able to make a meaningful difference in our child's life. Thank you. That was like the nicest review ever. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that. And I'm so glad you're part of the AT Parenting community and you found my classes helpful as well. And that's really my ultimate goal is to help you do you, right? And that's going to look different for each one of us and to help you take those clinical skills that you might be learning from a therapist and apply that 
at home. So thank you for writing a review. And maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. Um, I do also want to let you know that I'm currently doing my survival series right now. It's a free series. It's survival tools for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. It starts May 12th. Actually, it starts this week if you're listening to this in real time. <laughs> so because you should be listening to this, if you're listening to this in real time, this will come out on May 10th and the survival series comes out May 12th. You can sign up if you haven't signed up already at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. I do two different types of series throughout the year. I do one on self-care and this one is about helping your child build their tools regardless of whether they are motivated to work on their anxiety or OCD or not. And so this one is actually the more popular of the two because I think we're desperate for effective tools. And the AT Parenting community, my membership community will open up on the 23rd of May. And so if you are not on the wait list and you're interested in joining us at the AT Parenting community, you can also get on the wait list at atparentingcommunity.com. It will open up after this free series. And so you'll hear a little bit more about the community throughout the series, but the series is just powerful, regardless of whether you join me in the AT Parenting community or not. But you do want to get on that wait list if you are interested so you can get emails about the community. We're like a tight-knit community and I do live classes each week. We have Zoom calls once a month. The kids have support group calls. It's very cool. Plus people get free access to one of my courses. So it's definitely a lot of bang for your buck and check it out. All right. Well, I will talk to you guys next week. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. I'm going to talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 